We're here to do something very, very simple. And the problem is it's too simple for the ego. And it's simply to return to the real self, the essence. Just to be. The word for our being in ancient Sanskrit is sat. That's why we call this sat-yoga. We are in union with our being. Usually we're in union with chatter, with a mind that wants to externalize itself. Or we're in union with a self-image, or a fantasy, or a problem, or an emotion, anxiety, depression, whatever. But we want to be in union with our being. It's just that simple. And there's nothing to do. That's why there are no techniques. It's too simple for there to be a technique. It's only about letting go of our addiction to words, to images, to emotions, to fantasies, to wish fulfillments, fears, desires, all of that. Instead, we just want to simply be. Simplest possible thing to do. And what the ancient yogis and sages of all spiritual traditions have taught is that the essence of our being is bliss, ananda. There's a phrase called sat-chit-ananda. That's the closest we can describe our essential being. Ultimately, it's indescribable. It's beyond any concepts. But the closest we can come is that. And, and this is true in all the different religions. It's the equivalent of the trinity in Christianity. Our being our awareness, intelligence, and the joy, the unlimited bliss of love. Love in its true sense of the unity, the oneness of all things, all being, the cosmos, the mind of God. All of it is one, and we are that. That's why it's blissful, because we are not separated from that. So why wouldn't we want to be in bliss all the time? let alone for 40 minutes on a Thursday evening, right? Why? Why do we resist the bliss? Why instead do we hold on to the joy of our suffering? Because that's what we're not willing to let go of. We enjoy our suffering so much because we think that the only pleasure is in the suffering. This is what the psychoanalyst Jacques Lacan is famous for calling jouissance. It's both sides. It's pain and pleasure. And we enjoy that. We are all masochists at the ego level. We love our suffering. We hold on to it. We identify with it. We cultivate it. We light the fire of our suffering. And even while we're sitting here meditating, wanting to go to bliss, the mind just gets into its suffering. It will try to create reasons to suffer and not to let go and be in the present. It hurls itself into some bad scenario of the future or of the past and relives it, replays it and suffers over it. Because there is a benefit, there's a gain. It's not totally irrational. It justifies and it gives a sense of reality to that which is unreal. The ego is only a fictional structure. It's a story. Not even a story that we invented, but one that was given to us by parents, teachers, society. We took it from all kinds of places 
and we put it together and we said, okay, this is who I am. This is my story and my signature is this particular way that I suffer, this particular pattern. And I'm proud of it and it gives me a sense that I really exist. And that's why we hold on to it because it maintains that illusion. Because otherwise we face the realization that there is no ground. The earth is not sitting on solid ground. It's floating in empty space. We all know that, but somehow we don't want to realize it, right, and the implications of that. But our identity is floating on empty ground. It's made up of beliefs that have no truth. So when we meditate, we are having the courage to let go of that, to let go of the fiction that we have been living out and let go of all of its projects. The ego has so many projects that it takes so seriously that are so important to it. And, and that keeps it moving through the future. And it dares not let go of its desire to fulfill those projects, even though those projects will never be fulfilled. They'll never be something that will achieve the ultimate satisfaction that we think is contained in them. It's a mirage. But the ego lives on that mirage because it enables the mirage of the ego itself to continue. But what if we were willing to let it go and just be and discover that perhaps we are something else than we thought we were, something more, something different, something inconceivable, something that is not a thing at all. And this was our original state before we were indoctrinated into believing we were a body that has a consciousness, we were pure consciousness that we learned is functioning through a body. But that consciousness is not limited to the body. It only becomes hooked to the body when we learn language. And the language says that this name, the body is given a name and you are that name. And then you're given the word I or yo or je or whatever it is in your mother tongue and bang, you are pinned to the organism and identified with it. And then all of the traits that you are told that organism should ex express and display, whether it's masculine or feminine, smart or dumb, or, uh, scattered or concentrated, and you, know, you could multiply these. All of these become then an identity that one has to enact a very complicated role that we play for the other, for society. But our original state, before we were given that role, was a state of presence, pure awareness. And disidentified from the organism or from any localizable entity, we want to return to that state. It doesn't mean we're going to lose the capacity to play our role, but we will be able then to realize we are not that role and then modify the role in ways that it no longer suits us. We can change it. Okay? If the role is simply a sculpture that you have created or has been partially created by you and partially by the environment, if you realize you are not that, you can change it. But if you think that's what you are, you can't change it. So you have to get some distance from it. The only distance you can get from it is by silencing the mind. And then when things come up in the mind, you can say, ah, there it is, there's the pattern, there's the game that the ego is playing, there's the 
point at which a trauma arises. There is the point of dissatisfaction, etc. And one can modify it. One gains power over the ego. Eventually one gains self-mastery of a total kind because one is no longer invested in the ego image. Today we live in a society that has fallen from a capacity and a, a centeredness in the symbolic order. Society used to be mostly focused on teaching us how to make our lives into a work of art through the logos, right? In the beginning was the logos. And that symbolic capacity is what gave us power over the ego. But we have fallen into the imaginary. We have fallen now into having only a sense of an image. That's the real reason why sight is now more important than hearing, by the way. Because hearing used to be the being able to hear reasoned discourse between members, citizens of a given community, and one could trust the word of the other, and one could build uh, edifices of knowledge and truth and trust on that basis. But we have fallen now into a seduction by the image, and so people are more concerned with how they look in a mirror than their capacity to think and reason and express higher visions of reality. And so they're easily fooled by visions, and advertising uses this to take advantage of uh, getting us to buy things that will improve our image. But none of the things we can buy at the imaginary level, or even that we can think at the symbolic level, will get to the real essence of who we are. And the only way to get to that inner pearl, the diamond in the lotus, Om Mane Padme Hum, as the Buddhists say, is through silencing the mind and returning to the center of our being, where we will discover there is a luminous, conscious essence that literally is the source, not only of our own consciousness, but our, our whole experience of reality. And at that point of light within, we have the power to then alter our reality. Otherwise, we are subject to the laws of karma, and the laws of the trajectory of our personalities that have fixed agendas. But the point of power comes when we are silently aware that our being is pure intelligence, pure light, pure love, and that is not limited to a body and therefore has no fear of death, no fear of suffering, and no need to get its satisfactions through the possession of any external thing or person or other object of pleasure. That's liberation. And so the spiritual path is to liberate us from a mirage that causes more and more suffering. So I say this a lot, and I, it may get repetitive for people who come, but it's important to put it in your mind before you meditate as to why you're meditating, so that the capacity to persevere in it, the motivation to go beyond the mind, will become very strong and the, the resistance of the chattering monkey mind will not be able to uh, divert you from the silence that will lead to bliss. <laughs>